Stalkers. Speaking Destroy is the podcast featuring interviews about Metallica, and I'm your host, Ryan J. Downey. My guest this episode is Overkill drummer Jason Bittner, also a longtime member of Shadows Fall, who's filled in for Charlie Benante and Anthrax, performed on Marty Friedman's 2011 solo album, and was briefly the drummer in reformed thrash band Toxic before his three-year stint behind the kit for Flotsam and Jetsam. Jason spent a year at the Berklee College of Music before embarking on a career that's taken him around the world multiple times. The best way you can help this podcast right now is to go into Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star rating and write a nice little review. Like this one, from Theme Park Experience. If you're a Metallica fan, give this a listen. Ryan Downey is a well-established journalist, filmmaker, and manager. He's also a huge Metallica fan. Since there are many sides of the band's career, it's nice to hear various perspectives on them, with Downey leading the way. So, if you're a Metallica fan, no matter when you got into them, give this a listen. Thanks, Theme Park Experience. You can also support Speak and Destroy on Patreon and get access to bonus episodes exclusive to Patreon supporters. Called from my interview archives. Chats with people like Glenn Danzig and Kirk Hammett, among others. You can find Speak and Destroy at speakanddestroy.com. Follow Speak and Destroy on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Follow me on Twitter at Ryan Downey and on Instagram at SuperheroHQ. Subscribe to this podcast and the other podcasts in the Pop Curse Podcast Network, including Pop Curse, which features musicians talking movies, and No Prize from God. So here it is, my conversation with Overkill drummer Jason Bittner. This is Speak and Destroy. growing up first of all because i lived in a very musical household in terms of there was always music on my parents weren't musical in a sense that neither one of them played an instrument because neither one of them did i'm the first one in my family with musical talent so to my knowledge so when i was a kid from the time i was like three years old banging on the pots and pans with you know the wooden spoons banging on my grandparents garbage cans in the backyard with sticks it was just something that was inbred in me somehow i don't know where um but when i was younger like in the times that you can get like toy instruments like three three four five i had a toy drum set and toy guitar because i you know i wanted to do so i liked i liked music but i didn't know what i wanted to do you know you know i didn't pick anything like that yet um so I had a guitar and, and, a, and, and a toy drum set, but I slowly beat the toy drum set to shit. So that fell apart and I played guitar left-handed. So that was hard because the guitar was strung upside down. So that's uh, the, uh, wow. Who is it? There's some, some of those lefties that, so that play decide, up, right. Aren't there some that play with the, with it strung for a right hand, but yes. that, yeah, it's anyway. 
Yeah. What a mess. So anyways, for a kid, I was like, no, I can't do this because it wasn't even strung correctly. So I just make bar chords, you know, this way and play like, you know, kind of like Jeff Healy way, sort of. Um, <laughs> Roadhouse. Yeah. So in third grade, I started taking drum lessons because that was when you could uh, – that's when you could start in, in elementary school in New York, where I, where I live. That's rad. So That's I knew I was going to go down that path of drums. That was going to be my, my primary instrument. Um, so the toy guitar, toy guitar left town, and I started playing drums. And that's what I did from third grade. That's when I started. So my first... I'm, I'm trying to think about this here. I'm trying to put this all in like in the timeline. So when I was a kid, before I started taking drum lessons, let me get back to the beginning of it. I, it was a very, I had a, it was in a very musical household, but my parents had differing tastes in music with my mom. I got the doors and two very important bands or people cream and Jimi Hendrix, Jimi mm. Hendrix experience, because she had Jimi Hendrix experience uh, she had Are You Experienced in Electric Ladyland on vinyl. And she had Disraeli Gears by Cream on vinyl. So I just probably picked out the Cream album cover because I thought it looked cool. Like sure. all the pink and stuff. I'm like, oh, that's cool. And like the Jimi Hendrix Are You Experienced cover was cool. Electric Ladyland was cool to a five-year-old. I'm like, oh, this is cool. This guy looks like he's on fire. So I'd make her play those records. So this is the first, my first foray into music and hearing music now mind you i'm listening to two of the greatest drummers that came out of that era ginger baker and mitch mitchell but i don't know that i'm just five years old listening to these <laughs> records so on the other side of the corn you got my dad who's listening to all the southern rock and like jazz rock so heavily heavily rotated steely dan records so i'm hearing jeff Pecoro, bernard purdy steve gadd you know all the the great drummers who played in steely dan and all the double drummer, drummer bands, the Allman Brothers, the Doobie Brothers, 38 Special, Marshall Tucker Band, Skinner. So I'm hearing all that stuff. So this has just got me immersed into music. And my dad would just be like, go to the record store, like, you know, on Fridays, maybe every week, every other week, and just get new music to listen to. So one day in 1976, <laughs> he goes into, I'm six years old. And he goes into two guys' records and he picks up this record and he listens to like the first two songs and he's like, no fucking way. <laughs> and he gives it to me. And I go, Kiss Destroyer. Whoa. What are these dudes? Are these monsters? You know, so, I, so now I've got Destroyer in my hand. And that's what put me to, all right, maybe. This sounds really cool. This is like my kind of thing. And then like I got Kiss Alive and then just seeing the picture of them and the makeup and the boots and fucking breathing fire and blood. All right. This looks like a reputable profession. Maybe I might want to dive in. <laughs> I want to be a monster for a living and, so and play drums. Too. Wow. But when, yeah. when I first saw I became, you know, the certified Kiss Freak that all of us were, if you if you were born between 1969 and 1974, and you didn't know this band and it wasn't your existence, then <laughs> whatever. Then somebody you know, did you dirty, your, your older sibling or somebody, your uncle, somebody should have told you. Yeah. Right. So 
I become a certified kiss freak and but I didn't want to be Peter Chris. I wanted to be Gene Simmons. I wanted to be the guy who's spitting fire. Peter Chris did not excite me as a drummer. And I'm sure there's a lot of guys that I just stabbed them right through the heart right there. But he did not excite me. I don't I don't know that that's an unpopular opinion. I mean, I you know, his persona was cool, his vibe was cool. I don't think of him as like I mean, honestly, I think Eric Carr, the Fox. If if I'm gonna pick a Kiss drummer, I liked his vibe, playing wise. In my opinion, the best drummer is Eric Singer. I mean, hands down, he's the he's the best guy who's ever been in that band. But I mean, he gets paid to dress up like Peter Chris. So <laughs> right. let's just moving forward. Um, and and so you wanted to be Gene Simmons, not Peter Chris. And thank you again, Eric, for getting us in the farewell tour and the meet and greet. Oh my God! It's, it, when you're when you are standing there, I mean, I've met we've met Gene Simmons a couple times before, but when he's standing there in the full garb, like two feet over you, you're like, "Holy shit, he is a monster!" Like, yeah, and you're just a kid I, again, right? I mean, I, 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 I've, I, I've never I I've never met them in the makeup. I've never been around them in the makeup. I immediately turned, and my wife and I turned into eight year olds. We're like, "Oh my God, it finally happened." <laughs> I've gotten to do some really cool stuff with Ace. I did uh, prior to the pandemic. I used to host a Q and A series at the Musicians Institute in Hollywood, and I kind of call it like inside the actor's studio for bands because it'd be a guest and I on stage, and then they have a nice little theater there, and you know, students and people from the public and the audience, and I interview someone for an hour, and then we do thirty minutes of questions, and I got to do one of those with Ace, and uh, it was just incredible. And then more recently. For Knotfest, since Knotfest has been turning into like a culture brand or whatever, um, I had Ace on the show I do it with Knotfest called The Disc Dive, where an artist and I, which would be great to have you on, especially because of the diversity of your discography right now, we go through their whole discography and just talk a little bit about every record they've ever made. And the Ace one obviously was long enough that we broke it up into six episodes. That's great. That's <laughs> but, great. Uh, but yeah, getting to talk to him, I mean, and he's not in the makeup when you're talking to him but when he starts telling you stories you know you're just like ah, popcorn you know yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, uh, ironically enough overkill's old uh production manager is his tm right now so we, we we're very we're we're very in the know with well, what's going on with ace as 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 current current situations develop which is kind of cool yeah very very cool and very um, interesting always so, an interesting so, entertaining guy yes so so that was the kiss was what made me want to be like a musician. All right. So then we start taking drum lessons and then MTV comes out. So I'm a child of MTV, all the alternative music, all the new wave stuff, all the ska stuff. I, I love that shit. Some of my favorite bands still to this day are madness and split ends. I mean, see, you know, this is a conversation damn, we've, we yeah. never would have had before. Right, and I, I love those not, bands. I just showed my kids, um, the specials performing on Saturday Night Live in like 1980 or something. And yep. um, just yep. so amazing. And yep. yeah, dude, the first stuff before metal, before hardcore, before, you know, this but first what's stuff. what's so amazing about that first day of MTV was not only did I did I discover, oh yeah, and I, I should also mention that one of my favorite performers of all time is Adam Ant. My wife and I went to go see Adam Ant two years ago in New Jersey, Okay. Huge Adam and the Ants fan, but this is the one thing I want to point out, Ryan, is the day that I discovered Adam and the Ants, the first day that MTV came on the air, is the same fucking day I discovered Iron Maiden. So that's right. how 
how vast MTV's playlist used to be and how diverse it was. Well, and because there were so few music videos right. that originally they just played everything right. they could find. And I thought Kiss was the monsters. As soon as I saw Paul Deano walk out in that leather and then the two guys with the Eddie masks on and the fog light, I was like, oh my God. And that that's where, the, that's where for me, I turned. Because prior to, to Iron Maiden, my my biggest band, my biggest influence was the police. Like, I was mm. immersed in fucking Stuart Copeland. I was going to say, that's a great ghost, drummer to the, be interested in. Yeah. I could play the Ghost in the Machine album better at 12 years old than I can at 50. That's how... That's it's so interesting that that's the record you named, by the way, because I think as an adult, Synchronicity is my favorite. But at the but as a kid, Ghost in the Machine was the first one I had. I had that cassette, and that was the one yeah. I wore out because it just yeah. I don't know if it's just our age or, but, dude, Adam and the Ants. Okay. So so but then I saw Maiden. I'm like, oh my god! And I'm gonna make you was... talk about Adam and the Ants before we talk about Maiden, and everyone <laughs> who listens to this podcast is like, oh great, thanks. My older brother and I loved Adam and the Ants so much that we took our Lego minifigures and painted their faces like the Kings of the Wild Frontier cover <laughs> and like the Prince Charming cover. We had a, a couple different Adam Ant Lego figures. That Dude, is awesome. Adam and the Ants was Adam and the Ants and Generation X and Billy Idol were the first artists that I loved where I was like yeah. This is cool. I want to be like these people. I want yeah. to listen to this music yeah. all day. I want to listen buy magazines to, so, and learn everything I can about them. Yeah. I, so li yeah. listen to this. So I'm talking, I'm on a, I'm, this is, this is just one of those things that I go, oh my God, really? So talking about Adam and Ants, I'm on a, uh, a clinic tour when I first, when I first switched to Zildjian Symbols back in 2011, I was on a clinic tour with, my buddy John De Christopher, who at the time was the president of, Zildjian, of the Zildjian Symbol Company, he's since retired, but him and I did this ten-day clinic tour around the country together. So we're flying all over the place, and like you know, we knew each other really well prior to this, but like spending two weeks together, we really got to know each other, and like some inside things, and like just like our musical tastes and stuff. Like he's a huge Cars fan, so we're like we're listening mm. to the Cars playlists, and yeah. and then we got on the subject of Adam and the Ants. Now, after this U.S. tour, I was going overseas to do a European clinic tour for like another two weeks. And he goes, oh, he goes, you know what you'll find interesting? I go, what? He goes, Bob, the guy, the, the U.K. rep, Bob, that you'll be working with for the Poland shows. He goes, he used to be Adam Ant's drummer. I went, what? <laughs> like, I literally, I just like, yeah. I went, what? Like, straight faced. Are, are you kidding me? He goes, yeah. He goes. He was the last drummer in Adam Ants. He goes, or Adam Ant. He goes, not in the, I go, in the Ants? He goes, no, not in the Ants. He goes, he was Adam Ant's solo drummer for like Friend or Foe's strip era. I go, so he played wow. Live Aid. He goes, he played Live Aid. I go, holy shit. Wow. So the moment I met Bob, you know, like, oh, tell me some more stories. Tell me some more stories. What was it like backstage? Was it like Caligula? And he's like, no, it was the most boringest thing ever. He goes, he, he made the, he wouldn't allow the band any booze, no drugs. They weren't allowed. It was just like don't drink, church. don't smoke. What do you exactly. do? <laughs> I love it. Dude, do you remember when Adam Ant was on The Equalizer? Remember that show? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I remember like, dude, waiting 
for he was on Solid Gold. Every time yeah. there was anything out of Matt that was happening on TV, yeah. I was. In well, I, I I know all about it because I read his I read his biography a couple uh, a couple years ago, and he like all those shows he talks about because he he basically talks about how bad he suffers from depression and shit. So he all that stuff is intertwined with you know oh and I got this show and I thought it was going to be this and it wasn't and you yeah. know yeah. So it's all, and they're all, bu- everything we think about as being super cool is just a disappointing bum out for him. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> yeah. The ants all quit to go start a band with a 14-year-old singer. That probably wasn't fun. Well, Malcolm McLaren uh, fucking poached Poached all show. the ants, yeah. <laughs> but I like that Bow Wow Wow record, so, you know, we got two two good bands out of it. I think you got to end up with a better band anyways. Yeah, agreed. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting, man. I, I when you said Adam in the end, I thought maybe you were messing with me. Like maybe, oh, no. maybe, maybe Zeus no. told you there. No, 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 no. Because yeah, I, I I started looking around the room because there's, I mean, I would have to walk three feet to pick up something <laughs> Adam in the ants and show it to you. I don't have like I at least I I still have remnants of things that I'll find on tour that remind me of my MTV childhood or something that I had uh-huh. that I want to replace. Now I found this in the UK. It's rad, you know. It's the EP with Talk of the Town on it. Yeah. Which I bought literally when I was 11 years old, probably. Chrissy Hine is wore it still out. so I cool. A, yeah. I saw it at a record store in the UK for like five bucks. And I'm like, oh, I'm just going to buy this. I'm like, I don't even know if my turntable works, but at least it's a good copy. So this is some deep cut of the era. Uh, and I'm going to bring this back around to metal because there's a metal connection here. My absolute favorite band after Billy Idol, after Adam and the Ants, the next band that I was obsessed with as a kid, just a kid in Indiana, was AHA. And AHA is thought of as one-hit wonders in America, but what people in America don't realize is that they were and continue to be massive yep. around the world. Yep. And I, I got that. that first record. I loved everything about it. I bought all the 12-inch singles to get the B-sides. I started reading all the, you know, every magazine that would write about them. I was sitting there waiting for the MTV, you know, when it used to be a big deal when they would premiere a new video, when they premiered the first video from the second album. And so a couple of years ago, um, I was interviewing, uh, and I always, I'm that idiot that always says his name wrong, but uh, Isan from Emperor, right. Ison. Um, I was interviewing him a couple of years ago, and I was like, hey, this is totally random, but before we get started... I just want to tell you, since you're from Norway, one of my favorite bands as a kid was Aha. And I was thinking, like, that probably was the worst thing to say to him, you know. But I just wanted to bring up Aha. And not only did he tell me how much he loved Aha, he told me that there is a melody lifted from an Aha song in Anthems to the Welcome at Dusk, the Emperor record. And then fast forward to 2020, he just put out an Aha cover on his new solo EP. But did you ask him how he felt about TNT, though? Did not ask him how he felt about TNT. I personally love TNT. When you started yeah. talking to Norwegian bands, I'm like, there's not many of them. Yeah. <laughs> that aren't black metal. <laughs> That's true. It's a, it's a very short list. Um, yep. So, yeah, I love this, this the new wave and punk and stuff and how all that so, hit before Iron so Man. Made it- yeah, so I'm I'm almost to the to the end of the rope here. Oh no, so Maiden, this, this is what we do. This Maiden, is what we do. It's called, it's all good. No, I know, but at least to 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 to, to get the backstory over. Mm-hmm. Um, so Maiden 
is really the band that steered me to heavy metal. So then I become a huge Iron Maiden fan. And I, you know, Maiden, Priest, Ozzy, you know, the hard rock, right? And then <clears throat> Van Halen. And somewhere around, it was eighth grade, because it was before high school. Somewhere, somewhere around eighth grade, uh, I had no, I have, I had experienced the band back in the seventies, but I didn't think anything of it because it was a one-time thing. I just remembered seeing the record cover, but in 1982 era, uh, the kid who lived across the street from me said, you got to sit down and listen to this record with me. I'm like, all right, what is it? Just, just come over my house. You got to hear this because you're a drummer. You're going to like this. So it was his brother's record. Probably still had seeds in the cover too. I know that's Dave Grohl's story too when he talks about Rush, but it's, it's, <laughs> I'm not making it up. I said probably. I didn't say definitely. And it was 2112. So yeah. from probably that moment, something clicked inside my head and went, that's the guy that you need to bow to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And 38 years later, I still do. Oh, so, dude, look at that. Look you know, at that. Yeah. That was, you know, that I I found my Lord and Savior in 1982. And, and Rush. And he was Canadian. He was. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. And, and, only high Canadian savior. And, and one of the smartest people in the world and only high school educated. Um, and, and, and Rush became my favorite band from from that moment and i almost felt bad because maiden was getting dethroned as my favorite band and <laughs> it's funny because i joke about this with nico and he's like ah second favorite band and i'm like hey come on you know <laughs> that's amazing. So, so rush became like everything and it encompassed my high school years and that Neil was the guy that made me want to be the best drummer I could be. Neil and Buddy Rich, those are the guys that made me aspire to be great. Nico and Clive Burr were the guys that got me, and Bill Ward were the guys that got me started with metal. I guess Bonzo too, to an extent, but Bonzo was more in the in the holy trinity of rock category for me, and that's Stuart Copeland, John Bonham, and Neil. You don't need anybody else. Steve Smith gets in there for being the greatest drummer, period, aside from Buddy Rich. Because everybody, oh, the Journey drummer? It's like, oh, he's much, much <laughs> more than just the Journey drummer, my friend. Um, so those are like my biggest heroes. And then, and Bozio, too. Uh, but then after, when I got into high school, then the other three guys came. And it was Metallica, Slayer, Anthrax. It was Lars, Dave, and Charlie. Mm -hmm. And that's... That was where the door went, okay, that's the type of, of metal we want to play to. We're, nothing wrong with the Priest and, and the Iron Maiden, but uh, this, that's what we want to play. We want to play that fast shit. And here we are. <laughs> here we are uh, almost, uh, let's see, 32 years out of high school, and I've subbed in a big four band for quite a few times and yep. played in my hero shoes. And I've played in two other bands that I've worshiped since I was 15 years yeah. old. Dude. So. And, and by the way, not only, I mean, and, and we'll get there, <laughs> not only flots and overkill 
bands that mm-hmm. I loved the same time you did, and for as long as you have probably, or almost, um, and Anthrax. But as random as this is, and obscure as a, of a deep cut as this is, I liked Toxic, dude. World Circus. That was a record yeah, that I was I, I don't mean to, to leave leave Toxic out either. No, but I mean, um, they're just, obviously they didn't achieve the same acclaim as the other bands we're talking about, but they were a solid. I remember seeing just that album absolutely. cover. I bought That was a record I bought because of the album cover. I yeah. looked at it and said, I'll like this. Well, still, I mean, still to this day, Josh Christian is one of the best musicians I've ever played with. You know, just an insanely talented uh, guitar player, songwriter, without a doubt. Yeah, um, super cool band. And that's another band. You know, one of the things Zeus and I bonded over years ago, just thinking about that era and certain bands like that, was Sanctuary. We somehow got to talking about Sanctuary, and and we both saw them on that uh, Megadeth Warlock Sanctuary tour. Yeah, me too. And then, yeah, and then getting to know uh, Warl... Yeah. You know, the last tour that my band did, which was In Flames, Nevermore, Shadows Fall, and Us, getting to know Warl on that tour was just like, you know, because I just, I loved those two Which ironically records. was right before I joined. Right before. <laughs> right before. So close. Ships passing in the night. Yep. <laughs> and, and, and yeah, and then that relationship with Warl persisted. And then, you know, amazingly, Zeus and I were able to connect with Warl and he did that yep. Sanctuary comeback record and still yep. has a... You know, great that we were supposed guys. to tour with them, Flotsam. When I was still in Flotsam, we were supposed to do a tour together, and it fell through. Oh man, that would have been an awesome tour, mm-hmm. dude. And I love Flots, and we can talk about Flots. I mean, and, and you know, like a lot of fans, I discovered them because of the Newstead connection, and yeah, then grew too. to love them in, in their own right. Yep, yeah. absolutely. Because when Jason joined, I was like, who's this Flotsam and Jetsam? And I went out and I got Doomsday for the Receiver. I'm like, these yeah. guys are fucking great. Flotzilla. And yeah. Saw him, saw him in uh, 1988 up here right before I went off to to Berkeley. And that's when I first met everybody in the band. But that's where I first became friends with Kelly and Mike. And, uh, you know, fucking years later that and that's why i joined that's why i left toxic because toxic really just i mean we were working hard but we weren't you know we didn't really have much opportunity and touring back in the van and stuff like that that's tough when you're 45 and you've been a bus for 15 years you're like Mm -hmm. i'm willing to do this but like there's got to be a when do we say when point and kelly just called me up that one point in 2014 he's like hey man i'm quitting and there's only two guys i want to fill you know to replace me and it's either you or greg and Greg was getting back in Sacred Rites, so Greg already had a gig. So he called me. I'm like, absolutely. Once again, playing in, you know, Kelly was a huge influence on me. And that's why I think that's why I fit so easily in Flotsam is because I knew those songs because I played them for fucking decades because I love that stuff. Um, I love the re-recorded uh, No Place for Disgrace. I know re-recordings in general sometimes get a bad rap, but I love that record anyway. And then I, the re-recorded one I love. There's some songs I think they slowed down a little too much, and and Mike agrees with me on that. Because, um, like, there was a few that when we were playing them live, we were kind of doing, like, a mix between both tempos, sort of. Like, I Live You Die is one of those. It's way too slow on the re-release. Mm. But, but they don't like the speed on the original No Place because it just kind of lose the, loses the groove. So we, I get it. So there's a, there's a kind of a compromise on some of those songs. Yeah, I can I can see that. And I'm you, I'm glad you mentioned Greg from Sacred Reich because, you know, and I love Dave McLean. He's one of my favorite drummers. I don't know him personally, but 
you know, um, I love everything he did in Machine Head. I love his playing in Sacred yep. Reich. But, dude, that record, Ignorance, and obviously the Surf Nicaragua EP, but especially Ignorance and that original foursome of Sacred Reich, that was like yeah. a revelation for me. There was, in, in the midst of thrash, loving Metallica, loving Megadeth, loving Slayer, loving Overkill, Death Angel, all those bands. I had a real special fondness for Sacred Reich. I love the lyrics on that album. I actually saw them. They played indie with, it was Sacred Reich and Atrophy on tour together, two Arizona bands. Wow. And for whatever reason, we had a pretty decent high school metal radio show mm -hmm. in our town that you could hear throughout indie and broadcast mm -hmm. that big enough. And they had played, that show had played Death Squad a lot. And I remember when the band played that, Phil Ryan like saying to the crowd, like, oh, like you guys know this one. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's, it's been on our like weird little metal radio show that all, you know, everyone here listens to. Everyone that was that everybody, at that show. Everybody had, one, everybody had one of those. I had, for me, and it's funny because they, they're doing their 100th anniversary. Like they're doing some, you know, Skype thing or something broadcast uh, from Union College because they, they can't broadcast right now because they're, they're a college radio station. But that's where I heard a metal show for the first time when I was like 14, 15. It's on Sunday nights. WRUC, heavy metal from hell. All right, this next, I still, I remember like like it was yesterday because yeah. this is exactly how it happened. All right, this next band is this band from New Jersey and they're called Overkill and this is the album Taking Over and this song is Deny the Cross. They played that shit and I was like, what the fuck was that? And I'm like, I gotta go buy that. And that's exactly what it was. And like, maybe like the next, the, the, following year megadeth was coming through on on peace cells and they were playing the local venue here and and once we found out about that we didn't know who the opening bands were and then finally they, they announced it was like overkill and necros i'm like oh dude overkill oh, man what a so, show i wish i could have seen so that listen to, yeah but listen to this this is fucking, this is fucking crazy so it was um memorial day weekend 1987 Thursday night at, at the at the Colony Coliseum, which used to be like an in-the-round theater that held maybe 2,500, 3,000 3, maybe. Thursday night was the Necros, Overkill on Taking Over Tour, and uh, Megadeth on Peace Cells. Holy shit. Then, and it was like 90 million degrees inside. It was fucking hot as hell that night. It was really like a hot spell at the end of end of May. The next night at the Palace Theater, which is probably 4,500. And mm -hmm. both of these shows, mind you, Ryan, both of these shows in 1987 were both either close to or sold out. They were they were nuts to butts. The next night was Metal Church and Anthrax at the Palace. Wow. Anthrax is on Among <laughs> the Living. Metal yeah. Church is on the Dark. <laughs> the best Metal Church record, too. Wow. Wow. Really? I like the first one, man. The first no, the, one, I've been listening, I've been listening to the first one a lot so much because I've been playing various songs off it on my Twitches because I've been doing like these streams of uh, like my first drum influence as far as metal and like here's the songs that I like grew up playing to like mm -hmm. build my chops and shit. So it's like going back through like all my tapes from like the 80s and 90s and like putting together these playlists and like trying to remember these songs I've been playing 30 years and like it happens all the time like I'm like, I know this feels kind of like something like that. I'm like, oh, shit, it was so close. 
but I'll remember it, and then I'll, like, I'll play it, like, three bars later, kind of like, okay, see, I know how to play it still. <laughs> but I still remember it. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah. Well, I mean, dude, the fact that you took on the mammoth challenge of the death stuff, because that, I mean, and to me, I mean, and I, lo I love every death record, literally every single one, but to me, uh, human some individual thought patterns symbolic like that trinity is just like well, especially drumming wise yeah when i i talk about this and gene's the other one he would be the fourth one gene and sean god rest his soul i yeah. miss sean so much um i'm gonna preface this by saying everything well, i say this every time on twitch and i and i and i go to attempt to play death songs because that's what i call it <laughs> i said i i still to this day 30 years later cannot play sean reiner's drum parts i can't do it I can try my damnedest, but I will never play those songs the way he played them because he was a fucking, he was a one of a kind. And the way he thought was not a typical metal drummer. And he was so versed in jazz and everything else that he did. I can try my damnedest, but it's, it's not going to, I might capture the spirit. So I pick ones like, I'll play Suicide Machine or something off Human that doesn't have like a lot of busy parts, but it has a lot of fast cruising double bass. So I'm mm -hmm. like, well, this will just... <laughs> just like holy shit they don't know that i'm missing some all these little splash inflections yeah, yeah. that he plays that i'm not doing because i'm just trying to keep my fucking feet together and the thing is with with jeans when i did when we did the uh the quarantine video for uh overactive imagination mm -hmm. the way that came about is me and felipe were already doing a couple we were doing the one we were doing wake up dead with the exodus guys and felipe and i when he was filling in for Shadows Fall, we always used to play death songs and sound check just for fun. Because like, yeah. we'd be set up first and just, you know, jamming stuff off. Uh, mostly off symbolic, actually. And some stuff off individual thought patterns and stuff. So he just, he goes, dude, we should do a death cover. I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> like, I know I got work on the docket. You know, I'm still on the COVID, but I still got to start working on all the overkill demos because we got a record coming up, which thank God now I'm done. But like at that point, six months ago, I'm like, yeah. I have work ahead of me. Like, I don't have a month to work on Gene Hoagland drum parts that I used to know how to play 25 years ago that I don't know if I can still play right now. He's like, come on, dude, you can do it. I'm like, son of a bitch. So what he did was he goes, just listen to these. He goes, I've been doing some of these tracks just uh, just for fun. Bullshit. So he sends me a total clicked out to a grid rendition of uh, overactive imagination with like a drum machine on it that he programmed this to follow it pretty good. And the moment I started listening to it with headphones to him, like, motherfucker, <laughs> he got me. I'm like, I got to do this. Yeah. So, so then I started working on the part. I started working on it again, like getting the feet back up and I'm like, all right. I'm going to track this and I'm going to send it to Gene for approval first before I send it to Felipe. Nice. So, nice. So I did it. I'm like, all right, man, I haven't played this in 25 years. So we're trying to do this, this quarantine video. I go, is this close? And I send it to him and he's like, dude, that was killer. He goes, by the way, he goes, those backing tracks are awesome. He goes, can I get a copy of those so I can use them on clinics? <laughs> I go, yeah, That's no awesome. So in the meantime, I conned, the Giorgio into doing it with us. Yeah. After I begged him enough and I played Gosh, him. Gosh, he's a monster. He's after just... I played him the stuff we had, he's like, Yeah, I gotta do it. And I knew Bobby from we went to Berkeley together. So I just, you know, hit him up and he did the solo and there you go. But it's funny because it's and I I thought that I did a pretty good job on it. When 
the guy who writes the drum part says awesome, and then when the other guy who played drums in the band, Richard Christie, said, holy shit, Jason, that was fucking great. <laughs> I figured that was that's good enough. So then I, I could tell you, uh, no exaggeration. You know, there's been a lot of quarantine videos from a lot of great musicians, a lot of great bands, and so on. There has not been one that I have watched as many times as I watched that one. Even the wow. stuff that came soon afterwards with like more deaf guys in it. <laughs> yeah. I uh, and I don't know. Part of it, I think, might have been the decision to do it instrumentally because you can really, yeah, you can really hone in on everything that's happening. And you already yeah. know the song, so it's not like you're losing exactly. anything. Yep. Uh, yeah, yep. Dude, I watched it so many times. I texted it to so many people. Like, well, I was you. just so – I was like – I think I emailed you just to be like, dude, this rules. You did. You did. You did. Yeah, I was just – you know, you know what was it. funny about it, though? You know what's funny about it? It's like after after it's done, you're like, oh, I did such a great job. Awesome. Good. It's done out the door. It's almost like then the muscle memory just goes <laughs> – Like two weeks later, I was on yeah. Twitch, and, and someone asked me to play it. Oh, dude, can you play Overactive Imagination? Because I saw the cover, and I was just like – I was getting near the end of the stream, and I'm like, oh, man, I'm tired. So it's either going to work one of two ways. This is either going to go, all right, because I'm warmed up, or it's going to be, oh, shit, this one needed to be like five songs ago. And it was this one needed to be like five <laughs> songs ago because I was like missing parts. And like like the, the first double bass runs, like the first couple were like, <laughs> I'm like, hopefully he doesn't hear that. Let me turn that down a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, let me just let me just play to my own track from, the, from when yeah. I recorded it before. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, dude, that's so killer. So we got to talk about, and we're going to get to Lars, but you were talking about Megadeth on Peace Cells. And, you know, you mentioned jazz influence and metal. Gar. Dude, I never realized as a kid, Megadeth was my favorite metal band, the band that got me into metal. I discovered Metallica and all the other bands via Megadeth. Peace Cells was the current record, and I went right from New Wave and Punk and you know, a lot of English stuff right into thrash metal. Like I actually skipped hard rock and didn't go back to the hard rock stuff till way later as an adult. But anyway, I loved everything about those first two Megadeth records, but I didn't realize until they did the first killing is my business remix in 2001 or 2002. And then there was like a P cells 5.1 mix or something a year or two later. Yeah, that's like when I was like, dude, that's when I could hear Gar. You know, you always hear about, oh, the praying mantis and whatever. I feel like I didn't catch all of that until hearing the hearing him turned up in the mix. You can hear some stuff clearer, but I don't know. I think I, maybe I heard it when I was a kid because I just listened to it with headphones all the time. So I kind of knew what was going on with mm. him. But I Well, and you were a drummer, so you were kind of tuning in also. Yeah, but but it's those mixes, period. I don't like those those remastered and redone ones because I'm so used to hearing Peace Cells the way I heard it initially on my fucking cassette tape. That's kind of how I want to still hear it. Yeah, well, I'm not a fan of the remixes and remasters that they did in, like, 2005. Yeah, that's those are the ones I'm talking about. Yeah, those are no fun, but... The if you you should check out the killing is my business the one and then the one Mark Lewis did like just a couple years ago because they did it like the final kill or whatever they called it it's like the third the third <laughs> issue of killing is my business but it sounds awesome and it, and it really is if anything it's a great showcase for Gar but I want to talk to you of course because you're not only a drummer but you're one of the 
named drummers in this genre. And I did the same thing when I had Igor Cavalera on the show, and obviously Portnoy has been on. You know, I've had some other great drummers on. We've got to talk about Lars. And we got to talk about Lars because I argue that, and this is setting aside the massive <laughs> role that he plays uh, as an arranger and as kind of, you know, on the on the image, on the, you know, the business decisions, the tours, the festival, I mean, the set list, you name it. Just setting all of that aside, just Are you saying he'd about, be a great manager? He would be a great manager. He is a manager, practically. <laughs> the, just the performance, the drums. I argue that that band would not sound the same with anyone else in it. And I would point to YouTube videos of Metallica playing with Lombardo and Metallica playing with Joey Jordanson. Yep. You know, two of the best dudes to ever do it. Yep. And it just doesn't sound the same. There's just, there, there are a handful of drummers, you know, Alex Van Halen, right? Where you, you know, it's them. Like it's as yep. identifiable part of a band sound as that, a guitar that, or a vocal. Perfect case example. Perfect example or perfect case in point is Led Zeppelin. Mm. That's yeah. why Led Zeppelin broke up. That's why that's why Rush went away. Those men were not replaceable. They were not replaceable. Jason comes really close to his father. He really does. He has that bottom inflection. He has the thump behind his foot. He has the feel. He has the swagger. But you still know it's not John. Lars is the same way. Uh, you know, you you don't have to you don't have to argue the pros of Lars with me because there are plenty. Um, I, I've I will be a Lars Ulrich defender all the time. Me too. I, I will. I will be. Um, first reason being that every time I've met him, he's been an absolute sweetheart to me. He's always been nice. He's always been cool. I don't have any bad things to say about him in that respect. And he was the first guy that made me want to go. He did. Yes. That, and that's what I wanted to get to also. Ginger Baker yeah. made me want to play double bass and the sunshine, sunshine of your love. But Lars was the, when I heard fight fire with fire the first time I was like, what the fuck? Like, holy shit. Now, Many, many years later, many, many years later of playing to a click track, I hear Fight Fire with Fire and I go, holy fuck, but it's not that same response. <laughs> right. and, uh, oh, my God. Yeah. Did someone hear that when they were recording it? Like, how yeah. bad? That's just not in tempo. And that's but, but that, that's the magic, though, too. You know, it that's is. the personality. It is. But, it's and also, the, yeah. but it's also, Ryan, 30 years of being that jaded musician that spent mm. so much time playing to the click track and wanting, wanting it to be right. But when I was a kid, I didn't realize like when I'm when those parts were rushing along, I just thought that's what you had to do. I'm like, all right, well, I'm just gonna play it right along with him. I'm, or I, or it would be like the end of the double bass run, and like, why am I never on the fill with him? Because <laughs> you're trying to play in time, dude. I've been doing these Metallica streams lately on Twitch just for fun, just digging these songs out again. Like I always go, nothing past justice, because. I don't play anything past justice. Maybe a couple songs off the black album if you pay me, but you know, <laughs> I want to play songs that I want to break a sweat to at least. And it's fun going back and revisiting some of these songs, but literally 
Justice is the only record that I can play to that's somewhat in time. And like, that's because it's that record is very mechanical. I mean, there was a lot of exacto right. knives used on a lot of tape right. to get right. that everything, you know, in the pre-Pro Tools world to get that record as perfect and clinical sounding as it is, which is part of its charm. At the end of the day, he's the guy that started it. And Charlie and Dave just took it in a way better direction. And and they were just way better players. That's my that's my opinion. But Lars is the guy that started it all. Lars he's more influential too as just a businessman and as, as a as knowing that that, you know, how he how he held himself, him and James with that band. You mm-hmm. know, he was the guy, and I knew, and I said this, and I, I have said for years that I wanted to put a shirt out that just says, Lars was right. Mm-hmm. And then jo- and then Josta did it. <laughs> referring to Napster. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. And no, literally, Josta made that shirt. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, uh, yeah, because I'm right there with you. I probably said that drunk on the Hatebreed bus you in 2004 sometime. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and in the back of his head, he's like, ah, oh, Bittner, oh, let's see that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, I just got a shirt that was like a limited bootleg pre-sale thing that someone tag people always tag me into Metallica stuff on Instagram, which I which if you're listening and you do that, keep doing it because I enjoy it. But someone <laughs> tagged me into this shirt and I was like, OK, I got to buy that one. But, you know, the shirts that are like, you know, that, that say like Dave and Dave and Chris and. Gar yeah, 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 yeah. It, it's a shirt that says. Lars and Kirk and James and Bob and Phil. <laughs> As in Phil, the uh, performance coach from some kind of monster. <laughs> and I was just like, I was like, that is just so inside baseball. Like, I got to have that. Because anyone that's going to see that shirt and come talk to me about it is going to be somebody I actually want to talk to. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, I was like, kudos to the people who made that shirt. They got those shirts. I've seen one of those shirts because I saw it on our bus. I think it said, I forgot who it was like. uh, No, it said Chuck, Chuck, Zetro, Blitz, and someone else. I forgot who the other front man was, right? And then whoever it was gave it to Blitz. And Blitz just looks at it and goes, why am I third? (laughs) (laughs) You sound just like him, too. I love Blitz. He is. I, he was on. He he did the podcast, and he, he was. Why am I? just so much fun, dude. I've done. I've gotten to do a few bios for Overkill over the years, and interview Blitz each time. And oh god, he's, he's just he's so liar. great, man. I, I have not laughed. Uh, you know, between him and AK, they have got to be the two funniest fucking frontmen I have been a band with. I, both of them are just fucking have this humor about them. AK's is really dry. But Bobby's just got jokes for days and just the shit that comes out of the, his mouth and the shit that he does is just so fucking funny. It constantly got me just fucking dying. <laughs> he's great, dude. And that voice, he just, I mean, he's just, he's so great. He's just so, he's just so joyful. The YouTube, you know? the YouTube video of him laughing, it's like seven minutes of him laughing <laughs> yeah. in various situations. Yeah, man. And I remember, and you know, one of the first times I got to talk to him, I thanked him for the the ep having the reversible cover on the cassette because that was crucial with my dad is that Uh because you know the middle finger on the cover right 
Yeah. But they made it where it was also reversible, and it was just black and white with no photo. Yep. And the and I think there were asterisks over the title or whatever. And yeah, and I was I would always have it on the reversed side. Yep. In case my dad was looking through my tapes. Fuck you and then some. <laughs> you know what's funny too is every time every time my aunt sees pictures of me on Facebook and she sees the whole band, you know, like this, she's like, "Why do you have to flip the camera off all the time?" I'm like, "It's it's kind of our thing. It's their thing. It's in fun." It's a, it's the happy middle thing. It is as much as one can be. That's exactly what it is. I love it. Uh, so this is a perfect opportunity to to land the plane and ask you, since you've been doing the Twitch stuff and breaking out the Metallica stuff. You mentioned fight fire with fire. What yeah. are your go tos when you sit down behind the kit and you're warming up or you're messing around and you want to play some Metallica? If if I want to play some Metallica, uh, all right. If we go down the records. Um, Kill 'em All. I don't know a lot of songs off of, to be quite honest, because there's not a lot, of, a lot of double bass songs on that. And always a prerequisite for me when I was a kid is I wanted the more challenging double bass songs. Yeah. Um. So obviously I know Seek and Destroy, but I don't play it because I played it six billion times. So, <laughs> but if I play something off that record, it's either No Remorse because I still like playing that song. Mm. Well, I'll play Whiplash, but I put double bass all through it, so basically it sounds like Overkill by Motorhead instead. <laughs> yeah, indeed. It's very. It, there's got. It's got some commonalities. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um. On on Ride the Lightning. Sometimes I'll play Creeping Death for fun. Um. I like Escape because that's just a cool song, so I'll play that one. Wow, that's like that's a deep cut. That's the song that the band doesn't like. You know, they yeah. never they never played it live until they did the. Uh, Ride the Lightning front to back really? live experience, you know, at, uh, gosh, eight years ago or something. They'd that's never awful. played it before. I like that song, though. So that's that's fun to play. And I'll play Fight Fire, Fire 2. But to be honest with you, dude, the last couple of times I've played it, it's just like it's I just feel so off with it because I want to be on stringent time that it's yeah. just not fun to play. It really isn't. <laughs> I just kind of like, ah, eh, can we? How about Damage Incorporated? Let's do that one instead. You know, let's, let's do Dyer's Eve instead of this one. You want a fast one? Okay. Oh, let's man. Dyer's Eve. Yes. Yeah. That's, so, in my, that's in my top 10. Yep. So off off uh, off Master, I play Disposable Heroes a lot because I used to play that one in a band years and years and years ago. And that's got a real I'll play groove that. To it. I'll play Damage Incorporated. I'll play Battery. Leper Messiah, I'll play. Um, and off Justice, I usually play one Justice for All. Or uh, Shortest Straw. Sometimes I play Dyer's Eve, too. I've played Dyer's Eve a few times. Dyer's Eve is gnarly. Especially yeah, I mean, I know Black in 2, but I don't remember, like, when I when it gets to the turnaround section after all the solos, I don't remember, like, all those parts. And now when when I try to just jam along to it, I it frustrates me because I knew I used to know it. And I'm, like, <laughs> and I'm always, like, a half a bar behind. I'm like, damn it, that's the one that goes... And then the whole part's over, and I'm like, and it's it's not a big deal if I was just sitting there in my in my studio, mm -hmm. but the fact I just look up and see that GoPro there, I'm like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that rules, and that reminds feel like somebody's watching me <laughs> because they are. In speaking of the '80s and songs like that, and bringing it all full circle too, and you and you were talking about. Whiplash and its similarities, which which of course Metallica wouldn't deny. And in fact, 
one of the great things, and it comes up on the podcast a lot, one of the greatest things about the band is how much they've paid it forward to other bands and how much they are constantly repping so many other bands in so many ways. But I was exposed except, thanks to except I know you're, I know what you're about to say. <laughs> except the band that I used to be in, because when Jason joined, this is what AK told me, that they told him he was not allowed to wear a Flotsam and Jetsam shirt, which is why every time you saw him, he had a Sacred Reich shirt on. Interesting. And why and why was that? They didn't want him advertising his old band. I don't know why. But then, I mean, but then Michael Alago so signed his old band to the same label. Same A&R right. guy signed the same band, you know. I know, Michael Alago. Nope. Would not let him, would not let him wear. Because I, I, I used to, this is, all right, this is another joke when I left Flotsam. I go, because <laughs> I really didn't want to leave. But I mean, I love both bands, but it's like loving apples and oranges. You don't, you know, whatever. But when I left, I said, I want to be the first Jason that actually leaves and helps you guys out afterwards. And I <laughs> did. I stuck to my word because I got them on two overkill tours. Nice. <laughs> but nice. I, asked, I, I asked those guys that like years ago. I'm like, how come like he never even gave you any props like after he left? Like not even like wear your shirt. He's like, because they told they told him he couldn't do that. I went, oh, my God. Yeah. Well, and it also shows you that that whatever it is, which could be analyzed to death, that that, how early that started and that that was, that persisted through Jason's whole time in the band, no matter how much yeah. they loved him, which I think they did. And there, that was just, they couldn't get around that, that obstacle of, of treating him like he was an outsider or like things he was into were somehow in conflict with, with the rest of them. It's a shame because I, yeah. I, I'm a huge fan. I mean, I'm a fan of obviously Cliff and Robert a huge Newstead fan. I miss his backups. I miss his. I miss his intensity. Um, his, you know, from a performance point of view, uh, I love what Robert does. I love seeing Metallica with Robert in it. But, uh, but man, I got a, a soft spot for the for the Newstead days. Big yeah. Jason fan, and you could and you felt it when they did the anniversary shows, and Jason came out on stage, and the crowd. You could and you could see the other guys kind of going, "Oh, wow, our fans really love Jason." Yeah. It's like, yeah, man. We do. We did. Yeah. First Jason to leave Flots on good terms. Oh, what I was going to tell you was, so since I was into, you know, we were talking about MTV and the importance of that early on. One of the things that was so instrumental in shaping my sense of humor was the fact that MTV would show the young ones from the oh, UK God. in the middle of the night on Saturdays or whatever. I would tape it on the VCR. I watched it every morning before going to school all through like middle school. And that was the, that was how I discovered Motorhead. Motorhead played in yeah, the, you know, in the dude, house. I think, I think uh, ditto on that one. I think that's definitely the first place I saw them too. Madness because that's was on it too. Not all the time. I just, I'm laughing because I have like all the, all the, you know, Adrian Edmondson stuff upstairs, like all the BBC stuff like that. Uh, young ones bottom. I have all those like on disc upstairs and box sets. We were just watching absolutely fabulous the other night. And Jennifer Saunders is his wife. Yeah. Yeah course yeah. dude that whole that man that whole crew yeah. i gotta get into bottom dude i've never watched it and i know it's it's fun. It's, it's him and rick mail right or yeah 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 i gotta check that out rick mail rest in peace man. yeah that was a very odd situation behind his his passing it seemed a things bummer. that i read well 
I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it in the uh, show notes and in the intro, outro sort of stuff that I do in here, where people can find you, what you're up to, what you're doing, and all that. But if there's anything in particular you would like to plug, plug away, my friend. Oh, it's just the usual Facebook, Twitter, Twitch. Nice. That's well, where you can that find. That's where you find me the most nowadays is Twitch. But you're 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 teaching and twitching and overkill, yep. of course, is. As active as a band can be in the midst of all Overkill this. Overkill is on, uh, well, <laughs> the drums are done as of a couple weeks ago. And uh, now they're in uh, the hands of Mr. Vernie and Mr. Lintz, who will start guitars and bass. Very nice. I'm looking forward to that, especially after the last one, which I think, you know, I, I, I sometimes hate when people say, oh, it's the best band. When you're talking about an established band, a legendary band, you say, oh, it's the best record in years because it makes it sound like you're crapping on a whole bunch of other records and i think overkill has been consistent and yet i still have to say that last record was my favorite overkill record in a long time thank you i gotta tell you as a as a longtime fan and in a, and a owner of all the records and even some of the ones like in the mid-2000s that i'm really not you know too in touch with because that was in my whole shad period and, and like you know when you're in your own band and touring the world and mm -hmm. writing songs you don't really stay on top of every single band that you were with but I, I still have all the records but they hit a period where it was like all right we went through the groove metal kind of era and then hit a, a a lower lower point but like once once they hit the, the end of the 2000s dude they went on this just fucking tear with Ironbound and White Devil Armory and fucking yeah, um, dude, White Devil White Armory, water records, shit. Like all of a yeah. sudden, it just like it just changed and they became fucking ferocious again. And going back and listening back to these old these older records now, because I had to start you know learning songs off them and whatnot. I was like, oh shit, you know, I was like, I kind of missed out on these records when they were actually happening. But I wouldn't have been able to see them on tour anyways because. I was always touring myself. Yeah, you know, and, and, and even tour. and even if you had ended up touring together, you still people don't realize you still don't really see the bands that you're on tour with, right? Because exactly. you know everybody's on yep. their on different schedules and. Yep, but then you know once we once I got the demos for you know and knowing where the band was coming from from that you know from touring for all of the grinding wheel pretty much like Eddie did the first tour for that. And then I was pretty much in the band and I did the whole tour cycle for that record. It was pretty much almost like my record, even though uh, Ron did the drums on it, mm -hmm. but it was almost like it was my first record. It was my first time in the trenches, my first tour cycle. But knowing that that was the writing style that we were, that we were at, I was looking forward to the wings, to the, the wings of war and, with the with the demos, Dee Dee was starting to say to me, he's like, oh, I'm starting to, you know, like as we were touring, is I'm really starting to pick up on things that that I I I hear you do, and I know things I know you can do, and I think there's going to be a, a lot of room for drums on this record. So that's kind of a good thing to start hearing when it's your first record in a band. Yeah. You're like, oh, yeah. shit, that's cool. Kind of like I'm paying attention to what you're doing, and I kind of like it. So let's you know give you some spots here. And I'm, I'm very proud of what I did the first time with the band, but, and I know everybody says this, but you got to hear this record, like, <laughs> but you got to hear this record. I mean, personally from, I think right now why I find it so interesting is because 
I feel the material is as good as the last album, if not stronger. I told Didi this the other day. I said, I feel it's stronger because he's like, I feel it's just as strong as the last record. I said, I think it's stronger. I said, musically, I think it's stronger already. I said, but it's the bottom line is that we do not know at this point at all what any of the vocals are going to be like. Mm. The problem with this, we weren't able to get together in Jersey to work on this together because if, if Dave came up, he's got a quarantine for two weeks because he lives in Florida. So playing in a room together was absolutely impossible. So it's like, all right, let's do this all by file sharing. And then I went and did the drums at my friend's studio, you know, 45 minutes away from where I live. So I did them here, you know, in a control room with masks and all that. We're separated and all that. But that's, it's really, it's new right now. So there's a lot of drums on it, kind of because I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be stepping on any vocals here because there are no vocals here yet. <laughs> right, you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. I talked to the Blitz even before I, I tracked it. I go, I'm kind of like skeptical because I said, I don't know where you're going to put stuff. And, you know, once I once I go in there and track it and the mics come down, it's done. It's there for history. And he's like, don't worry about it, man. I'll sing around you. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> That you don't normally hear. It's usually like... From any band, let alone a band that... Yeah, (laughs) yeah, you're... Exactly. Don't worry about it. I'll just sing around you. Oh, well, you just made my life a lot easier. Thank you very much. Well, this has been super fun, and I want to have you come back at some point. And and we should even do... We should do some kind of... uh, I don't know, some sort of... Have you jam a few Metallica songs and some sort of live stream, something or other? I don't know. I'll think of something cool and fun to do. We could definitely do that. Um, but yeah, man, this is great. Um, I knew it'd be fun. Thanks for doing it. No problem. You're welcome. It's good to see All you. Right. Likewise. Yeah, be, be safe. Seen. Take care of yourself out yeah. there. And yeah, we can't, right. we can't let Blitz. Uh, yeah, yeah, things are good. We, I was going to say, we can't let Blitz get the Rona. We can't. Uh, <laughs> we No damage to those lungs. No. No, no more damage to those No more lungs. damage, yeah. Well, awesome, Mr. Bittner. I appreciate it. Jay Bitt, right, always man. a pleasure. And, Thank you, Ryan. Uh, yeah, we'll do it again sometime if, if you're up for it. I'd love to. Absolutely. Fun.